Hi everybody, welcome to another EduThink podcast. Today in the studio with me I have Jacqueline Aitchison, Executive Head of Education Incorporated. Welcome Jax. Thanks Gish. And a very special guest, Mike Stopforth, who wrote an email a couple of months ago that really pricked my interest and I thought it would be good to have a conversation with him and pick his brain a little bit. Welcome Mike. Man, it's so good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome to meet you and can you just give us a little bit of context to what your email was all about and what you're trying to communicate because I think the conversation today was not what you intended it to be. Yeah. So, so the email is, is, is part of a, a marketing initiative around a business that I run. The business is interested in what uh, lies at the intersection of leadership and technology and impact. And I, I deal a lot with business leaders who are trying to navigate some of the challenges around digital transformation. And my theory is that digital transformation works or fails almost entirely based on the culture of an organization. And that, as we all know, is largely uh, determined and dictated to by the style of leadership of that uh, that entity. And I wanted to use the analogy of picking a school for my six-year-old daughter, an appropriate uh, primary uh, school for my daughter. And we, we landed up picking initially a school that was super convenient, really close to where we lived. It was the most easy, uh, pain-free decision to make. And, and we believed that we were based almost exclusively on the amount of money that we were paying, making a good decision that would be kind of endorsed by the quality of the, the institution that we were investing in. We only realized that maybe that wasn't the best decision when we got a phone call from a school that we'd put her name down at earlier in the process. Didn't imagine we'd get in there. Um, and when we got the phone call, we went for a meeting again, kind of reluctantly because we were sort of happy where we were, met with that school and were just really blown away, really astounded at the contrast between that experience and, and what we were kind of okay with already. And yeah, it got me thinking a lot about the role that leadership can have in making two completely otherwise similar entities substantially different in the way they approached, in this case, the, the topic of educating our children. What really interested me in that email was, and what I'd like to delve in a little bit today and see if we can find something in that decision, the easy decision to go to the school down the road, as opposed to the decision to take to the other school and what led you on that journey. Because I think a lot of decisions are made about convenience. And marriage, buying a house, investing in your child's education is, I think, the difference between using somebody to do unit trusts where you just go, here it is, and you trust that it's getting done, mm. or using a wealth manager. Mm. It's that kind of money that's going into the investment of sure. your child's education. And we always encourage, you know, as entrepreneurs, we'd rather have a wealth manager who knows us mm. and understands and can build that investment tailored to what our needs are and aspirations. And we'd certainly like that for children. Mm. And Very education cool. at the cost that is in South Africa, and it's a really, really good education, is expensive. Mm. And you certainly would want the wealth manager not just buying the unit trusts. And perhaps that's another analogy that works side by side with what you're talking about right now. Yeah, it's a really powerful point. And, and, you know, what's so interesting about this is that the, the decision we make about what school we want to send our kids to is going to be informed largely by our own experiences. The problem is that I went to school 30 years ago, right? So the, the school system is different. Yeah. The environment that we're educating our kids in is different. The types of children that they're becoming because of the world that they're in are different. So, so all, almost all of the variables that we're using to base our experience or base our decision on, um, are, are different. Mm. 
So, I mean, obviously, it's not it's not a completely open ended decision when you decide where you want to send your kid. There are there are some constraints. Um, geography is one of them, right? So, like most, uh, even you know, extremely well to do parents are going to going to pick a pick a location that is relatively accessible to them or their children, unless, of course, they decided at a senior school level they want to send them off to somewhere fancy in the Midlands. Uh, <laughs> I went to Benoni High School, so that wasn't my journey. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, that, that might be the one argument against that. But but generally speaking, at a primary school level, it's about it's about uh, location, location, location. Yeah. And then the second variable will be affordability. And then the third, I guess, would be some of the other things. That that for me would be the most logical. Flow, yeah. except that in that moment, and you know, our kids tend to grow up at an accelerating rate, and before you know it, they're four, and they're no longer toddlers, and now you're like, oh my word, I have to think very seriously about what the beginning of their educational journey looks like, and everybody wants to do best for their kids, but often that decision in that moment, under pressure, gets made quite like emotionally. Mm. And I mean, certainly the, the decisions that we, we made about where to send or at least where to apply for my daughter to go were, were very much where, where are our friends thinking about sending their kids? And, and I mean, my mom is a, a primary school teacher. My aunt is a primary school teacher. Um, I'm surrounded by teachers. And yet even my decision making process was quite, um, instinctual and, and emotional in, in that moment. Very much more convenience and emotion based than maybe via the, really good objective logical benchmarks that we just spoke about so i don't know how we get away from that or even if we should maybe some of that is good but it's definitely a factor well maybe what we we think about is i remember a story about five or six years ago uh it was one of our local schools very close to where we're sitting here in the studio uh, and we did a, a quick analysis on you know, it's one of those schools with, with the waiting lists, you know, mm. babies in mommy's tummy and the name goes down on the, the oh, waiting yeah. list. One oh, of yeah. those schools. Yeah. And, um, we wanted to know why they had these waiting lists and why they were always so full. Mm. Was this reputation? It's a very old school. Is this because they've had generations of excellent results? Mm-hmm. Because in our mind, it makes sense that parents would be looking at factors such as that for their own child. I want my child to be in a school that is consistently rated, um, has consistently good results, et cetera, et cetera, good staff, good faculty, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it turned out when we got down to the crux of it that it was location. Hmm. It was where the school was located and access to the schools in terms of roads. It was yeah. as simple as that. Now, I don't know if that has changed since covid because people are definitely putting more value. They, they want a better value proposition. And then I think back to your email and, and what you were discussing when you said, you know, the school that your child was in was good. Yeah. It was good enough. It, it was good. You thought you were getting a good education. Sure. It was a good enough education. But then when you went to the other school, almost as a, as a fluke, because yeah. they had contacted you, you realized, hang on a minute, I could actually for the very same cost, the same value, be getting good plus. I could be getting a whole lot more here. Mm, same mm. same money, but a lot more bang for buck. So suddenly that location variable became less important. It, yeah, definitely became second priority. Yeah. So are there a couple of things that you could identify? What was good that became, hang on, 
it's actually not good enough. What what could I can you can you identify a couple of those? Yeah, sure. So I mean, it's worth pointing out though that the difference in the, in the commutes between these two schools is in the one case it was four minutes, in the other case it's twenty two, twenty three minutes on an average day. Um, so it's it's quite substantially mm. different, but it's not insurmountably far. Uh, we're not driving forty five minutes because I think if it was forty five minutes, we would have. She would still be in the previous uh, right. school. If I'm honest right. with you, no, I don't know sure. if we would have made that uh, decision. It was within the 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 realm of what was still reasonable mm-hmm. for us. So I think it's still a big factor. And in a a load shed Johannesburg, one out of seventeen traffic lights working world, that's definitely <laughs> definitely has some weight. Okay, so that's the that's the first thing. The massive distinction for me. Um, and, you know, being, being really interested in how organizations are formed and how they create value and how they run and how they run over, over years as they evolve was the substantial difference in an institution that was clearly created and, and running for the purposes of being able to report a profit right. back to, to shareholders. Right. And then an institution that existed for the purposes exclusively of being essentially its own end, the the mm. very best school that we can be with the resources that we have available to us for intents and purposes, kind of a non-profit mindset, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better, better phrase. Neither of those are, are perfect models. They both have their pros and cons. But in our, in our instance and in our experience with this particular example, the one that intended to be a school in and of itself, uh, first, had what appeared to be a far greater focus on the quality of the team that worked around our children, the quality of the instruction and development of those um, talented teachers, the level of intentionality, um, the, the kind of community feel, a lot more investment in building the parent-teacher-student community. So, there, you know, there were just subtle things that – became big things when we added them uh, all together. Having said that, it's not lost on me that I could have gone to that meeting and been sold a wonderful story by sure. obviously the person who's best positioned to tell me that story. That's their job, right? Yeah. And then you know, the first teacher that my child had in grade one could have been uh, there could have been a significant personality clash or it might not have worked as well as it did. We, we got lucky. Um, you know, I, I, I know the the impact and weight and the kind of ripples through one's life of the impact of a really good teacher at those formative uh, stages, well, any stage of one's educational career, but especially those early, early years. We got lucky. Um, she loves her teacher, but it could have been different. It could have been somebody that she didn't connect with. So, yeah, again, I, I'm not suggesting that the one is a perfect model and the other isn't. There's just so many variables in what makes it work for one and not for another. So is it fair to sum up by saying that one of the major differences was in the intentionality of the relationships with the students? Certainly. And that was evidenced in the language around values and principles that seemed to be consistent throughout almost every interaction that we had with everybody in the school. So it was interesting to me that the language that was used in our, you know, this is our school and we're amazing meeting because that's the easy meeting for them to sell it was then reflected in our interactions with the teachers. And I saw it in the classrooms and it's kind of in the behaviors of more uh, senior students that you pass or talk to in the, in the, it's definitely more than just a value statement that gets put up on a PowerPoint slide or on a, on a 
what, what do you call that fancy plastic that you, you know, they printed on, what's it called? Perspex. Perspex. And then it goes <laughs> up in the like reception hall yeah. and the person that has the closest relationship with it is the, um, the secretary and the head. Yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the tea lady that cleans it. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that's often what a value statement yeah. becomes. Yeah. And, yeah. and what was different for me here was this was a kind of a very creative expression of the absolute truth of what they intended to do as an institution. And then that's been reinforced ever since. So I think if I ever felt like that, that was being compromised, that would also be an, an amber flag for me. Um, yeah. I think perhaps if you felt that was being compromised, given what you've just described, a conversation would probably be welcome and the feedback would be welcome to make sure that it was realigned again. I imagine so. I'd hope so. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, again, it depends on who you're having that conversation with and their role in, in reinforcing those yeah. principles. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you'll excuse the pun, it's really interesting to me that the impact of more corporate styled schooling, uh, more, call it brand based, building these, these incredible, uh, schools across the country that have a very high standard of education and give access to so many more people for, for a really high standard of education. That's been a revolution, I think, in education in South Africa over the last 20 years. And I don't want to poo poo that at all. Um, but I think what, what we certainly experience is that the variance in the experience of that individual institution can, can be quite dramatic depending on who who is running that particular school. That was, school. that was really the crux of your, your email that yeah. you felt that it was the leadership style or the, the leadership intention yeah. that was different between the two schools yeah. because one leader was reporting to shareholders and, and whatnot uh, from yeah. a corporate perspective, whereas the other leader didn't have those pressures. They didn't have the corporate pressures. Their pressures were more on education delivery and how do I get that right? Yeah, I love a wimpy. I'm not an expert on much, but I'm I'm pretty pretty uh, uh, authoritative when it comes to wimpies in my local area. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm being facetious. But but like everything is the same in a wimpy. Everything, even the size of the store, the menu, the stuff it's printed on, the the, the how the food tastes, how the eggs are cooked. Everything is standardized. The only thing that could possibly be different is how staff are engaged and motivated. And you can feel that. Right. You feel it. You know, if everything else is the same, that's the one thing that will feel different and it can feel substantially different. And and so I think that's what I'm saying is that um, what it ultimately comes down to, and this is not unique obviously to education, but it's, it's, it feels like it's exacerbated in that environment. Um, the role of the principal and the mm. intentionality mm. of the principal and the amount of buy-in and support that, that he or she has from the community of people that make their jobs possible. One of the hardest jobs in the world that has a massive, massive impact on the way the school comes to life. Um, Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that yeah. statement. Can I explore a little bit your personal journey and reflections on how this came about? Because you were happy in the school. Mm. An opportunity arose. There must have been a little bit of turmoil in mm. terms of the decision that led up to it. How much of your educational past and history and your educational journey was part of that what did you have to overcome personally to actually make the move? Because there was no real reason to have to do so. Sure. Cost was the same. Distance seemed to be there. Can you share that a little bit with us? Yeah. So, so I mean, it's worth giving a bit more context because this is not the first time I've made a decision about where to send a child to school. Um, 
I was married before. I have two older kids. One is 17 uh, and another one is four, uh, 13. Oh, my God. I hope she doesn't listen to this. 13. <laughs> and then the little one is, is six. Um, the two older ones, my, my ex-wife is a, is a school teacher. Uh, again, a, a grade one uh, a primary school teacher. Read into that what you want. And what was really interesting was in, in that relationship, I kind of outsourced almost entirely the decision-making process to – to Wendy because she is absolutely the authority in our dynamic on the topic. Um, she would do instinctively a lot of the due diligence. She would, you know, chat on the teacher grapevine around what options were available. And, and, um, you know, when, when we were, when we lived in Benoni and when we had to make a decision about where to send, uh, my eldest, we did a lot of homework and actually, um, Wendy and Ethan kind of moved to the same school together. So she got a new position at a very good primary school in Benoni. Um, and he was at the school as well. And that worked amazingly well for us, uh, for a very long time until they moved down to Cape Town. Then we had to make a completely new set of decisions about schools that we really knew absolutely nothing about whatsoever. That was a different experience. Uh, that came down to where Wendy could get a, a teaching post, and she felt most comfortable having the kids at the same school that she was. Also, just logistically, it was easier. But that that their first school in Cape Town was almost certainly not the right school for them. Now, again, in retrospect, once we were able to right. compare or create contrast, mm-hmm. it was the best solution uh, under the circumstances for us. But but definitely, when we looked at it and evaluated it afterwards, and Wendy and I have spoken about this at length, it was you know it wasn't. Now, my uh, second wife Anna defers to me on school uh, decisions because. My mom's a teacher and I've had two yeah, kids. So yeah. I'm supposed to have more experience in this realm. Um, so, so it's really interesting that like my experience of the decision making around these, you know, uh, tectonic moments for our children have been very different depending on, on the two relationships. Now, not everybody will have that, that experience, but in this instance, I think when we went to have that introductory meeting, there was something that rekindled there, something I recognized as being a very familiar, feeling about and 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 that feeling was I was just I was extraordinarily lucky as a young kid to go to three pretty remarkable schools on the East Rand a lot, a lot of variability in them I went to Benoni Junior Benoni West and Benoni High managed to avoid Benoni Technicon thank god um but but yeah so they, but they were extraordinary schools in no small part because of the the principals that were in those schools one of them Brian Lotto who was at Benoni High School for many years is legendary um point I'm making is that I got a sense at that age of what it meant to be in a safe, inspiring, encouraging, um, challenging, resilience-building environment uh, where people really, really cared about what was happening on your education journey. And I kind of remember what that felt like. You remember what the hallways felt like. You remember what the the way teachers look at you. You remember all of those sort of things are very ingrained at a very young age. And Isn't it funny that you don't remember individual lessons, but you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I, that's I remember some traumatic lessons. Well, yeah. I, I was, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I had the most extraordinary English teacher in, in grade 11 and 12. And, and I have no doubt that my passion for that you know, for uh, communication is in no small part due to yeah. her inspiration. What again? I remember the way that made me feel. I don't remember exactly. learning about Macbeth, but um, yeah. So, so to, to get back uh, to a, a non-tangential discussion, I, I recognize that feeling. I recognize that 
culture. And I realized how lucky I am because I had that experience, right? Because I suppose a lot of people weren't lucky enough, weren't privileged enough to be exposed to that kind of quality of education at at a very young age. But I was very lucky to have that. And, and, um, and so I had a sense of that. And I think both of us, both Anna and I felt immediately that this just was different. And it's quite difficult to explain that exactly. Mm. Um, and, you know, in words and go, it was this, this, or it looked like this, but it is, I think it is a, a, a different kind of feeling. Mm. Um, a different kind of. You know, it's quite interesting. You've used some interesting words that you've used words like tectonic because it's, you know, that level of decision that you're making here for your child. Um, and you've mentioned due diligence that you would be doing a due diligence on, on a school that you were considering. So I'm going to throw a bit of a, I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing the glove down mm. just to see what you have to say about it. One of the things we hear quite often when we, we're talking to prospective parents is, the child's going to make this decision. Yeah. And I think that's a product of, again, of the society that we're living in and, and children have decisions about everything now. And, and rightly so. This is the world that we need to train them for. We need to, to train them to, to make critical decisions. Yeah. However, when you're talking about a nine year old or an 11 year old or even a 14 or 15 year old and you're talking about something as tectonic as something that, ha- that will shape and define the rest of their life. What is your comment on parents who abdicate that? They might be abdicating it because perhaps their experience wasn't a very good one. Yeah. Or maybe because they are quite overwhelmed by the magnitude of the decision. Sure. And they tend to step back and say, okay, the child can make that decision. And then you get things like, well, my mate's going there, so I'll go there. Or, mm. you know, suddenly all that due diligence falls away because you, you've given the decision to somebody who has zero experience or, or very, very little experience. How do you feel about that? So, Jax, there's a, there's a couple of things that I want to pick up on there. Um, so, as much as I've used uh, big adjectives to try and try and describe how seriously we took this decision, I do also think that our children are incredibly adaptable and incredibly resilient, and you can obsess to the point of a paralysis, picking the exact right mm-hmm. path for them, and land up mm-hmm. actually not being able to act, and that that can be just as bad. Um, the, the important thing to remember, I think, about your child's educational journey is that it is a partnership with you and them and that yeah. it is a discussion and that uh, obviously they don't just get to go out and feel like doing this or I don't want to do it or whatever it might be. But, but there is certainly room to go, is this the right journey for you? And, and how do we know that? And, and, you know, what are you experiencing? And, and so on. And, and like we said, we could, we could put them in the best environment and they could land up in a classroom with a, mm-hmm. a very unpleasant element that mm-hmm. makes, you know, a bully or whatever that makes a great environment, a terrible environment for them. And all the other variables might yeah. be right. So, you know, it, it's difficult to know to any degree of certitude, but I think, I think parents need to take comfort in the fact that you can change your mind and yeah. you can evolve your thinking about what's right for your child and, and so on. And my brother had a very different school schooling journey to me because he has very different needs. Mm. So, you know, uh, my ex, Wendy, she was at Benoni High School too. She hated it. She landed up at, at Queens in, in Joburg and loved it. So, you know, no two children are the same. And, yeah. and so we've got to, we've got to be very open minded about that. I think there's a substantial difference between. Involving our children in decisions, any decision, and having them make the decision. I think, I think a, a level of shared accountability and responsibility 
is so important in terms of their feeling uh, like I have equity in this. Mm. I, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm accountable. Yeah. I, I helped choose this journey. Yeah, there's buy-in. I've looked at, yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot with my son and his university uh, choices now. And I don't know that we've gotten it right, but it feels like him and I have done a lot of thinking and a lot of talking about it and a lot of due diligence and where we've been able to, we've tried to invest in getting him connected to people that have been to different institutions and different faculties and really, you know, kind of getting to the meat yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. and again, I don't care if he changes within six months, but yeah. at least we gave him the right foundation to, to think about it himself and, and share equity in the, in the decision making process. I don't think that parents defer to their children's whims on this topic because they don't care about their education. Yeah. I think parents do it because we're terrified of disappointing our children. Most of us, we're all trying so hard to make our kids happy <laughs> um, that we don't think about making them or giving them the fortitude to think about this kind of decision uh, in partnership with us. And so it becomes maybe quite a, it can be quite a frivolous thing. This is where my mate's going. Mm. Again, that might land up being the right place yeah. or a good place for them to be. We don't know that for sure. I think even if I remember back to my primary school years, Benoni West was a feeder school for Jeppy. It was a feeder school for Benoni High. It was a feeder school for Willamore. It was a feeder school for another school that I've forgotten. But the point being is that there were options. And, and I guess the option – that we took was based on two things. It was the school my parents went to. So yeah. there was a sense of familiarity and comfort. And a lot of my friends were going there. Yeah. It was definitely a factor. Um, I think my, when you're going into high school, especially. School, right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, your friends are, are more important than anybody else when you're at that age. Yeah. Yeah. And it is such a weird transitionary period yeah. in your life that the emphasis on the group I feel comfortable with is, yeah. has got serious weight. Mm -hmm. um, can I, can I just you go back a little bit to, what you're talking about, the shared decision-making and things like that. Mm. I'm having a picture in my mind of a parent sitting down and giving their child a check of between 100 and 150,000 rand and saying, you get to invest that in what you want this year mm. Mm. without having a conversation about what works and what doesn't work. And I think that from my perspective, opportunities like this to partner with a child on making big decisions that – affect their lives, big decisions on an investment mm. that's going to shape who they are as people is a great opportunity to teach how to make good decisions. Mm. And often, if you're not taught how to make good decisions, you're not in a position to teach other people on how to make good decisions. Mm. Mm. I think that a great learning opportunity is lost when we don't involve kids in conversations. Oh, yeah. But fundamentally, I believe the adult is the one that should make the final decision at the end of the day as an opportunity to teach the children how we get to that decision as well. Yeah. And I don't think that even if the adult makes the decision that buy-in is not happening, that learning is not happening, that a sense of partnership is not happening. I think sometimes kids also like to know that the adult is still driving the car. Yeah. And yeah, it's just something that came to mind when you were talking about that. I think it's a great learning opportunity, you know, at what point do kids learn how to manage finances? It's when they've got chores at home and they get pocket money for it and they don't do the chores, they don't get the pocket money. That's where it starts, that one day you're earning money and if you don't do the work, you don't get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. But teaching them to make big decisions and looking at the pros and cons and all of that might be a great, you know, a great journey for them. And it's a great shared opportunity because later as an adult, if they're struggling to make decisions, it means they've got somebody to go to to talk through and they've got a process in place.
Yeah, I mean, to expand on that analogy, which I think is a great analogy, and I, I couldn't agree more. You know, me sitting in front of Ethan and going, you know, here's 100K for your first year of studies uh, at university. Where do you want to go? It's very different to me going, um, these are the four institutions I think are really good options for us. These are some of the faculties. Like if we do a matrix, these are the faculties that these four institutions are really strong in, mm-hmm. right? So like let's talk pros and cons here, right? So if you go to Varsity in Cape Town – Versus if you go to Varsity and Pretoria, what are the pros and cons of those? And that's kind of what we landed up doing. So he's evaluating those variables mm. for himself. He's identifying the different things that are going to impact on whether or not it's going to be a great journey for him. And, you know, he's like, yeah, but this guy's going here. And I'm like, that's one factor. Mm. And then he's going, yeah, but also that's not a great engineering faculty. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a, that would be a minus then, right? You know what I mean? Now, obviously that's a little bit easier to have. Uh, as a meaningful conversation with a, a 17 year old than let's say a six year old. I suppose it depends on the six year old. Um, but, but I can still have the genesis of a conversation like that with Ayla where you know, we're thinking through some yeah. of those options. We're thinking through some of those variables and that's going to happen all the way through her schooling career. Like she's making decisions right now about which extramurals she wants to do. For and sure. again, we're having the same conversation. Yeah. W- w- like what are the advantages and disadvantages of going this way versus sure. that way? And I know you like this, but you know, we've got to think about that and, you know, we know that, um, you know, your bestie goes to this thing, but you're not really loving it. So, you know, all of those things are, are critical in giving your kids, I think, I like that idea of giving them equity in the, yeah. in, in whatever outcome it is that, sure. that you decide on together. And equity doesn't necessarily have to be physical equity. It can be in equity in the decision making yeah, process. Exactly. And a I mean, voice yeah. in that. Yeah. Something else that comes to mind, you're a marketing guy. We come from a generation in the bell curve where we were sitting one standard deviation from the norm, which made up 80% of mm. all consumables, every decision that was made and everything that, you know, stores stopped where these kids are growing up in the generation of the long tail. Anything you want is customized, mm. Mm. made for you. And we sit in a space where everything in their lives from what they watch on TV to the computer games they're playing to the stuff that they buy is in the long tail. It suits their individual needs Mm, mm. and often we're making decisions about the education one standard deviation from the norm in the 80 percent yeah yeah and possibly going back to the decision about the big corporate schools that make it accessible to the masses the 80 percent which is very good for this country and the educational standards Mm. if you're in a position to take advantage of a long tail which is a school that has a specific niche or is specifically there for a specific reason or known for it and your child and that suits your child's needs mm. then certainly consider it because that's the life that they're living at this moment oh yeah i couldn't agree more that was definitely what happened with my brother right so he landed up matriculating from the national school of the arts that's where he was mm. most happy he was most fulfilled and certainly where his talents and gifts sure. found a home uh, but it took us took us some time and a bit of a journey to get to, to, to the point where, and, and, you know, that's a good example. We lived in Benoni. He went to the National School of the Arts. That's so there, my trick. parents were yeah, that was a willing to compromise the, the 45, 50 minute drive to make yeah. sure that he had the right environment sure. for, for who he was. But I think, look, I think there are pros and cons to both. And I think a lot of it has got to do with, with the types of children uh, and the, I guess the type of family you want to build and also, you know, the, 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 the type of journey that they imagine they'll take as we, as we sort of, sort of forge an identity in terms of career. You know, I imagine building a broad base of skills in a long tail type environment for people that are creatively or entrepreneurially minded is a, is a massive asset. 
But there were valuable lessons for me to learn in a very big school of, you know, 1,300 kids or 1,400 mm-hmm. kids or whatever that, that I had a role to play, but you know, like I, I need to fit in. I need, yeah. I need to yeah. toe Society the line. Society has expectations. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've got, I've got to respond. Yes, I'm important. Yes, I matter. But also this whole thing matters. And yeah. I play a role in getting it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and the part of that is listening to other people's needs and contextualizing my role in that, yeah. in that society and ecosystem. So again, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. And then sometimes you get both. Sometimes, I mean, I, uh, you know, I went to, as I said, a very big high school. Um, there were uh, 30 kids in every class, very easy to kind of fade into the background. My standard six and seven grade eight and nine years were tough years. I didn't really fit in anywhere. I didn't have my, and then of all things, but only high school had a very good Scottish pipe band. <laughs> yeah. Bizarrely enough. And I discovered that thing and I was like, I want to do that. And that became my little long tail community. That was yeah. my weird little niche that I felt very at home in. And, and so I got both. I got kind of, I got the big engine and I got to understand my role in that, but I also got yeah. this community of people that are very interested in a very specific topic. And that was hugely valuable for me. So yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to assume that you can't achieve both in the same environment, um, but I think it is a, a tenuous balance to manage. I think asking the question, what is best for my child, and having the conversations with them is part of that journey. Jackson and I, our passion is about putting people on the right path. And it's and I know that the path isn't always a drink. Our, our niece is a perfect example of that. She well, matriculates yeah, the niece, this our year. Our niece and nephew. I mean, if I think about my oldest nephew – he was a, a COVID matric, a 2020 mm. matric. Mm. So a lot of his year was spent out of school studying so on his own. Yeah. But he loved it and oh, absolutely wow. okay. thrived in it. It was right up his alley. Yeah. So an edging type environment like ours that's yes. small was would have been ideal yeah. for a child like that. However, then his sister who's matriculating this year, she's absolutely that child who needed a thousand a plus kids. She, yeah, yeah, she needed the screaming mm. crowds at sports days. You know, mm. she's that child. And yeah. she and she did a trial at Edrink, and Edrink she would have thrived at Edrink. A- academically, mm. rock star, no problem there. Mm. She would have shot the lights out. But Bryanston but was the place needed, for her to go to, and yeah. four honors blazes later, and in you know into everything at the school, yeah. it was the right place for her to be. And I know that she's been set up, and. Our part in it as her uncle and aunt and as the heads of, of a school was making sure she was on that right journey and sharing that, you know, that journey with her parents and with her and very proud of her. Mm. And I think it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Those little long tails within that space. She's a scout. You know, that's the long tail. It's a, that's her long tail community, mm. Mm. but she has that mainstream thing that she can do as well. You know, the acting and the academics and all of that too. I think, I think we're drifting into another really interesting yeah. topic though, because there certainly is also an expectation on behalf of most parents. So I, I'm paying the money. Make sure that the school does everything my yeah. child needs, <laughs> right? Like across the board, like make sure that you offer everything. And, and I think there's a lot of thinking for parents to be done around uh, no institution can cover all of those bases. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. What, what am I expecting the school to do and how do I measure the efficacy of that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of kids that will be sent to a school because that's the best chance of them, uh, you know, progressing their rugby career or yeah. mm-hmm. swimming career or football yeah. career, whatever yeah. it might be. Again, I don't think that's a bad decision. Yeah. That's, that's fine. As long as, as, long you as know, it's a realistic decision. Yeah. And as long as you know, that's why you made the decision. You, yeah. You, you know, yeah. Look, I think Edwink, because of our size, is a bit of a print on demand. Mm. You know, mm. 
we don't have the huge sports fields. Yeah. Yeah. But you, if you're doing rugby at a club, we can facilitate that. Exactly. And yeah. So I'm not looking for you to yeah. do that job. I can supplement we never the had, parts that. Yeah. We never had a clay pigeon person before this, this year. And now we do. And now he's off to represent South Africa. I'm very excited about this clay pigeon thing. You keep mentioning it and I happen to love clay pigeon shooting. So I am definitely coming to visit you. So awesome. you keep dropping that bomb. I'm going to keep picking it up. Yeah. Fly fishing, salmon fly fishing. Oh my word. That's too it. much. Too much. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think that's the point is that, you know, as parents, our, our job is not to pay the school to do the job of being a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, our job is to be parents and ask the school to do the job that we expect it to do and then to supplement it with the other avenues or other experiences or other tribes that our yeah. children need to become complete whole. And my son is also, he's been in Scouts since he was, well, Cubs first, I think since 10 or uh, nine or 10 years old. And he's now trying to qualify for his Springbok Scout. Um, Massive part of his life, hugely valuable part of his life. Uh, if I look at the impact it's had on him from a yeah. leadership and independence and capability and resilience perspective, it's been extraordinary. Um, but that was that I didn't expect the school to do that. Yeah. Sure. It wasn't their job. Sure. Um, yeah. What it sounds like we're coming to is that there's no recipe book mm. for this decision. And the only way, there's no way that you're going to separate, you know, the different elements of it to find a clear picture. And if anybody wants a recipe, they're not going to find it. Mm. The only thing that sounds like a recipe is that conversation needs to happen. Reflection needs to happen. And honesty needs to happen. Sometimes you might have to divorce your educational experience from mm. what your child's is and perhaps look at it objectively. And there are other factors to play in ge- geography, affordability, etc. So I think the message I'm getting from this conversation is that get comfortable in the mud, get comfortable getting dirty, um, and don't fear getting in the mud. Part of the process is having fun in the mud and, and figuring it out because at the end of the day, education is going to happen. Mm, mm. It's like growing up. It's going to happen in one form or another. You do have some control over the direction that you wanted to take. But I want to add to that, Gersh. There's there's another variable that you've got to throw into that mix, yeah. and that's the due diligence. Okay. Um, and I think that. So you get to choose the mud you're climbing in. Yeah, you know, parents. How many times have we sat in the office with a prospective parent, and they've said to us, "Oh, I wish I'd made this decision sooner, and and we hadn't had to go through X or Y." And I say to them. You've got to reconcile that you made the best decision you could at that time with the information you had at that time. Mm, mm. So do your due diligence so that you have the best information available when you are playing in the mud. Well, I, you know, hearing Mike talk about the decisions, a lot of it was in hindsight we saw. Mm. In hindsight we saw. And I don't think we're going to get 2020 vision on what this looks like. I don't think there is a perfectly informed decision about a variable like your child's education education up front. But I certainly think that just pausing for a moment and asking some of those questions, certainly with the correct intention is going to get you in the right place. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is why I get so excited about shows like this is because this is precisely the kind of conversation that people wish they'd listened to before they'd made that decision because they're going to be variables that I hadn't considered or yeah. things that weren't a priority just because of the emotional nature of the choice that I'm making. 
but I mean, even if you did a show on, on, Hey guys, here's the, here's the full gamut of options yeah. when yeah. you're thinking about, you've got this little, you know, bundle in your belly and you're immediately starting to think about what its educational journey might look like. <laughs> you've got everything from homeschooling to sending them to some international school <laughs> in, in Tel Aviv. Like <laughs> these are all the different options that are available here, mm. the pros and cons. Yeah. How are we thinking about this? And, and w- how do you involve your child? Sure. Um, or, or get a better understanding of the type of child that they are so that you can do that. You know, what role can other caregivers, maybe an educational psychologist play in helping you evaluate what type of environment sure. will be right? I, again, I'm spitballing here. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think that is a, you know, here's the playbook 101 for how to think about. Sure the type of educational journey you want to send your child. And then obviously it arrives and you discover who it is and it changes everything, right? But, uh, <laughs> of the, course. <laughs> the point being is that you're intentional um, yeah. and that you are prepared for those variables when they when they present themselves. And I think to loop all the way back down around to the beginning of, of, of this podcast where we were speaking about your email, mm. taking the time to have conversations with, with the leaders of the, of the schools and things because you're going to resonate with some and not with others. Yeah, yeah. Asking piercing questions. I've got this weird thing where even at the age of 42, if I'm in any principal's office, I start to have like heart palpitations. So <laughs> uh, we were, but I, I, there's actually a deeper thing around this, which I, I, I don't want to get into into too much depth right now, but certainly my generation of privileged, uh, certainly white South Africans were bred at a very young age to trust centralized educational institutions, largely because those institutions were, you know, they, they were propagating a very dysfunctional system and had to do a very good job of forcing mm-hmm. us to trust the way they worked. Mm-hmm. You know, that was how it worked. Yeah. Um, if you could indoctrinate people at the ear- earliest levels, I mean, I was telling a bunch of young guys that I trained with the other day that I remember at six, six years old having somebody come into Benoni Junior School in 1986 with a, a, like a wall model, plastic extruded model of, of like, Grenades and mines that you had to be careful of if you saw in the school playground. What? I remember that. No, oh I remember. It. I swear to God. I hope I'm not imagining this. Gar- <laughs> Gav's shaking his head like he remembers it. Thank okay. God. All right. But no, I re- like that was the schooling environment. So now, w- what I'm saying is the product of that is that we we were bred to trust centralized educational mm-hmm. institutions as being immutable forces of authority in our lives. And part of what we need to unlearn is, is you're in partnership with this, yes. with the school. You, you are working with yeah. them to get to the right yes. outcome. And then you must, you must ask questions like you would of a fund manager to go mm. back to, mm. you know, Gersh's yeah. analogy earlier on. Like, are we making the right decisions about where we're investing this money? And how do I know that? And how do mm. we develop that trust and that simpatico? Yeah. Not just a yes or no, sir, three bags full, sir. I appreciate you, you know, offering us the privilege of having our child in your school. Yeah. It's a partnership. 100%. Yeah. It sounds like to me that as the journey gets to its end, it's all about the marks and the metric marks to get into university and the careers that we want. Mm. But when we started the journey, the intention is about creating a human being that's living their potential, Mm. that's part of society and functional. Happy and whole. Happy and whole. And I think that any school that is focusing entirely on just getting good marks creates a very shallow person. Mm. And I think that we need to remind ourselves that the educational journey is about the human being that comes out at the end of it. None of us remember our metric marks, but all of us remember the journey. Mm. And it's certainly, from what you've shared with us today, has shaped us as human beings in how we view the world, and it certainly shapes how we make decisions about the, the educational journey of the people around us. I think like, you know, coming back to the metaphor we started with, 
in private education in South Africa, it is a massive investment. If you're putting that kind of money into an RA or a fund, you would certainly want to curate it and audit, audit it on, on, a, on an ongoing basis to make sure that the returns you're getting are in line with what you're expecting. Mm. And I think that the measurement of those returns should not be just in the marks, but in the quality of and the depth of the person that's been created in that educational journey. And I thought I'd just like to share that with parents. My advice to parents as, a, an, as an educator and somebody who's passionate about growing people is curate that process. You don't necessarily have to interfere in that process, but audit it and keep to what your initial expectations were, which is growing the person, making sure that there's a good, decent human being that's coming out at the end of it. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Jax, Mike, thank you very much for sharing this time with us. And thank you very much for being so honest and sharing your thoughts and journey and, and for digging in the mud with us. I think that there's valuable information here, even though there's not necessarily a recipe book, but mm. I'm hoping that it stimulates some thought with the people that are listening. Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. Guys. You know, for parents, this is such a tricky quagmire, choosing the right schools and am I getting it right and am I getting it wrong? And if I do need to move schools, does it mean I made a mistake? Yeah. I failed at something. And that realizing that it's not the case. Just as every child has their own educational journey, every parent is also walking alongside their child on the journey. It, it, it's a partnership all around. Couldn't agree more. I was just going to say that. The journey that you walk with your kid, not uh, yeah. not for them. Yeah. So yeah, it's actually been really inspiring for me as well. So thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show, guys. And good luck with Thank the you. episodes to come. Thanks very much. So one of the episodes to come, and I'm going to hold you to it, is I really liked what you started off with, with what your initial intent was on your email. Mm. How leadership and technology and the culture of that and it is very relevant in this space in private schools. And I think there's a whole conversation that we might have around that. Cool. Excellent. Sounds like fun. Thanks very Thanks. much. Cheers, guys. Cheers. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.